Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you have been speaking to us by your Spirit through your Word as it was read. And we pray now that you continue to do that uh, as we consider this passage together. And we ask that your Spirit would empower me to uh, preach your Word rightly and faithfully uh, in his strength. And we pray that your Spirit would work in each one of our hearts, uh, causing us to see Jesus and to respond rightly to him. Uh, so be at work among us by your spirit, through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we begin a new series, don't we, uh, in the book of Ezra. And as we look at Ezra chapter 1 and 2, we will see this. We will see God's people return from exile to build God's temple according to God's promise under God's sovereign hand. Say that again. We'll see God's people return from exile to build God's temple according to God's promise under God's sovereign hand. And then we will ask how this applies to us. But before we go there, let me just remind us of where Ezra is up to in the storyline of the Bible. Well, back in Genesis, we remember that God's creation was very good. And in Eden, we have a picture of God's kingdom. We have God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule. But humankind sinned against God and was expelled from the garden. We, we lost that place of blessing. And, and ever since then, we have been in exile from the garden. We are in exile from the garden. Important to note. And yet God's plan was eventually to reverse this exile. God spoke to Abraham at about 2000 B.C., and God made him promises there. He, he promised him many descendants. He promised a land for them to live in. And he promised that he would, would make his name great and that descendants would not only be blessed, but be a blessing for all the families of the world. So God's people would be in God's place, under God's blessing and rule, once again. But Abraham's descendants ended up in Egypt as slaves. And yet God rescued them mightily in the Exodus. God led them out of Egypt, and this is the nation of Israel, through Moses. And he did incredible signs and wonders to show his glory as he punished the Egyptians. And so much so that when the Israelites finally left Egypt, they asked their neighbors for gold and silver and clothing, and they all gave it to them. Go, take, 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 go. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. Moses led them to Sinai, where they heard the word of God, and they received instructions about building the tabernacle, the place where they would meet God, and they would worship Him and serve Him. And there at Sinai, God made a covenant with them. He promised to take them into the promised land, and He would bless them in the land if they obeyed Him. But if they disobeyed, they would be cursed and eventually be expelled from the land. But beyond that, one day, as an act of grace, God would bring them back and change their hearts on the inside so that they would obey Him. Well, God kept His promise to give them the land. and Joshua led them in the battle and they conquered the land. They settled there. But then in Judges, they kept on rebelling against God, and God kept on punishing them, and then, he, and then they would repent, and then God would save them, and then just kept that cycle, kept it over again, over again, until finally God provided a king in Saul, but he didn't trust God, and God gave them a new king, King David, a king after his own heart. And God made promises to David. 
He said his dynasty was going to last forever. Where there was sin among David's successors, they would be punished, but that Davidic line will never end. And now we're in about 1000 BC. And the golden age of Israel's history was ushered in under David's son, King Solomon. Solomon built the temple, magnificent temple. And God's presence filled that temple. And God lavishly blessed His people, not only with material wealth, but with the wisest of kings to govern them. God's people were indeed in God's place, under God's blessing and rule. But after Solomon's death, there was a split between the north and the southern kingdoms. The northern kingdom was continually idolatrous, and was eventually destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 BC, as per the covenant with Moses. The southern kingdom and its capital Jerusalem had some good kings and some bad ones, but eventually also fell under the judgment of God. The Babylonians came and took them into captivity. And they plundered the temple. They took the vessels of silver and gold from the temple. They did this actually... Once in 605 BC, small scale. Once on a larger scale in 597 BC, but just the upper echelon of society. And then in 587 BC, they did it again on a massive scale. And this time, they destroyed the temple and the whole city. God had sent many prophets to warn his people beforehand, but they hadn't repented. And one of those prophets was the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah had prophesied that God was going to destroy Jerusalem. He prophesied this, and poor chap, he actually lived through it. But he also prophesied that God would one day bring the exiles home. Before we look at the, one that, the, the passage from Jeremiah on the screen, let me just read to you Jeremiah sixteen fourteen. He says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said... As the Lord lives who brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their land and give them to their, that I gave to their fathers. God was one day going to restore his people. He'll bring back the Israelites who had been scattered, and also one day he was also going to bring back the, 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 the southern kingdom people as well. And God would be known as the God who had brought about this new exodus. No longer be talking about the old exodus. This new exodus would be so big, so wonderful, that it would eclipse the old exodus. And God's relationship with his people would be governed by this, rather than that. Later on in Jeremiah, writing to one of the early lots of exiles who had been taken to Babylon before Jerusalem was destroyed, he says this, and that's on the screen. Thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This was God's promise to those, is the, those Jews who were in exile in Babylon. And by the time Cyrus, the king of Persia, conquered Babylon, it was 68 years after the very first exiles had gone. The time had come 
for God to begin to fulfill his promise. Now come with me to Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now we know from elsewhere that this Cyrus guy, he had a policy about people and religions in his empire. Archaeologists have found evidence of this in this, what is called the Cyrus Cylinder. Right? It dates from about 6th century BC. It was found in the ruins of Babylon. Uh, there's a photo of it. It currently resides in the British Museum. And here's an interesting extract of it that's up there. Uh, uh, he says, Cyrus says, I returned the images of the gods who had resided there. And he's talking about all these places. You can see at the top of the screen to their places, and I let them dwell in their eternal abodes. I gathered all their inheritance and returned them to their dwellings. See what he's saying? Now, people argue here like, whether he's actually referring to the Jews or not, but it doesn't matter because you can see his policy. Right? The Babylonians, they had captured both the people and the idols of the people that they, that they had uh, conquered, and they brought them to Babylon. Cyrus wants to send them back. And this applies to the Jews as well. And so behind the decisions and the policies of this pagan ruler, we know that God is at work to fulfill his word to restore his people. And so in verse 1 again, it says, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. God was the one behind it. Now, that's an important thing to note at a time like this, isn't it? There's so much uncertainty politically in our country, and indeed around the world. Empires rise, empires fall, but actually God rules the world. God holds the hearts of kings in his hand. And when the time is right, he fulfills his plans for the good of his people. Babylon falls, Cyrus, king of Persia, comes up. And Cyrus makes decisions like this. Now, Cyrus is a shrewd politician. You don't become king of an empire unless you know how to be a politician. And with politicians, you often find them talking a little bit differently depending on who they're talking to. Right? They might have one policy, but the way they express it is quite different depending on the audience. I mean, we see that in our own country, don't we? All right? Sometimes what politicians say in the Malay papers is fun very differently from what you read in the English papers. And I'm sure if I could read the Chinese paper, I'll see it different again. All right? Cyrus, the politician, makes a proclamation throughout his kingdom, and he also puts it in writing. And what we have here is probably the version for the Jews. In verse 2, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Right? Cyrus says, God has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. It's really good that he acknowledges that, doesn't he? Right? God has given him that. And God has charged him to build that temple in Jerusalem. I've given you the kingdoms, now build my temple. And in turn, Cyrus charges God's people. Verse 3, whoever 
is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He's the God who is in Jerusalem. Okay, actually, he's the God who is everywhere, isn't it? Right? But Cyrus isn't quite, doesn't quite get everything, but that's okay. He's telling them to go back and rebuild the temple. And then he charges their neighbors. Verse 4. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, beside freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And so the neighbors, the people living in the towns where the exiles are, they are meant to give them gifts to take them back to, to Jerusalem for the temple. And so the exiles respond. In verse 5, we've got two main groups who rise in response. They are, in verse 5, the heads of the father's house of Judah and Benjamin. Right? These are the clan leaders of the two main tribes who are there in the exile. And the priests and the Levites. The priests and the Levites are those who had served in the temple before the exile and their descendants. So you've got the body of the people, but special mention for the priests and Levites because the temple is the important thing. But not all the people rise up to go back. In fact, when you look at the numbers that we've read just now in chapter 2, it's probably a minority. But they are the ones, verse 5, whose spirit God had stirred up to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord. You see, God is sovereign in this process of return. Not only has God stirred up the spirit of the king, he's now stirring up the people, the people that he's chosen to go back. And notice that they're going back with a purpose. They're not just, okay, I'm going to go back to my homeland now. No, no, no. It's specifically to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. A thousand years beforehand, Israel had been saved from Egypt. Why? So they can worship God. God rescued them from slavery. He took them to Mount Sinai. He gave them the law. And he taught them to build the tabernacle. Now these people are being saved from the exile. Come back. Why? To build the temple. And how do the neighbors respond? Well, verse 6. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Remember when God's people left Egypt? They left with the gifts of the people, isn't it? Jeremiah prophesied that when God saved his people from exile, it'd be, it'd be like the exodus, but, but bigger and better. So it was so big that people will forget the exodus, and this will be the new defining moment for God's people. And wow, this is beginning to look like an exodus, isn't it? Israel is being restored as a people. But it's not just the people who are about to go back. There's also the articles belonging to the temple that had been taken away by the Babylonians. These are going to be sent back as well. Remember how Cyrus liked to send back both the people and their gods back to their own land? Well, the Jews didn't have any idols, so the best that he can do is, is this law, verse 7 and 8. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, and cut them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah, 
And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, 1,000 other vessels. All right, so the vessels all get ready. And in verse 11, when the exiles are brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem, a grand total of 5,400 vessels of gold and silver go up with them. So, we've seen the inventory of the temple vessels. Uh, in chapter 2, we see the numbering of the people. That Tim very kindly read just now. Right, these are the people of the province who went up. They each went back to the Jerusalem, to Judah, to his own town. And then in verse 2, we've got their key leaders. Zerubbabel, the civil leader, who would sometimes be called a governor. There is Jeshua, who would be the high priest. And then a number of other leaders that we don't know much about. Uh, Nehemiah, who is not the Nehemiah, no, just a Nehemiah. Uh, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, not the famous Mordecai, uncle of Esther, somebody else. Right? Bilshan, Mizpah, Bigvai, Rehum, and Bana. And then you've got this long list of men of Israel according to the clan or the area they come from. Going down from verse 3 down to verse 35. whole number of them. And then you've got the priests in verse 36 to 39. Numbered according to their clans. And then the Levites. And the Levites were the tribe who were there to help with the temple. And they're numbered according to theirs. And included among them are also the gatekeepers in verse 42 and the temple servants in verse 43 to 54. They're counted separately. Why? Because these are the people who are going to staff the temple. And the temple is the important thing. That temple is what everyone's coming back for. And then there's another group who are the descendants of Solomon's servants uh, in verse 55 to 57. Uh, They're probably descendants of people from Canaanite stock whom Solomon drafted as forced labor during his reign, and there they are as well. But in verse 59 to 61, there are two groups of people who cannot prove their genealogy. They are people who think they belong to Israel, but they don't have the records. Um, we, we don't know how the leaders deal with the people who think they belong to Israel but don't have the records, but we do know how they deal with that second group, that descendants of priests whose names are not registered either. Because their names are not registered, they, they cannot function as priests. They are assumed to be unclean, told not to take the holy food until such time there should be a priest to consult the Urim and Thurim. The Urim and Thurim were those things that the priests used in bygone days to discern God's mind about matters, but there's nothing to suggest in the Bible that they were ever used again after the exile. And so these undocumented priests must have missed out, which incidentally shows the integrity of the Jewish genealogies, doesn't it? You can't just say, I'm in. You can't just make up your genealogy. You have to have proper records or it's not recognized. Very, very important. Because these genealogies will later show the bloodline of promise leading to Jesus Christ. Verse 64 numbers the crowd. A total of 42,360 in the main assembly with 7,337 servants. And 200 singers. I think their band was a bit bigger than ours. There's also hundreds of horses and mules and camels and thousands of donkeys uh, in verse 66 to 67. So these are not impoverished people. They seem to have done well materially in the exile. Uh, And it must have been quite a sacrifice to go back to the land. They'll have to start all over again in a place where the infrastructure was destroyed 70 years beforehand. Nevertheless, they've heard the king's call. Their spirits have been stirred by God, and they come. And not only do they sacrifice their homes and their careers and their standing in Babylon, they they sacrifice their wealth as well. 
In verse 68, some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made free will offerings for the house of God to erect on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury the work of 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minerals of silver, 100 piece garments. Lots, quite a substantial collection. They don't go, well, you know, we've come all this way, so someone else can finance it. Uh, yes, they, they receive gifts from their neighbors. Cyrus has done his bit, but they don't leave it there. Right? They give sacrificially according to their ability for the building of the temple. So here's the picture we have from Ezra 1 and 2. God's people return from exile to build God's temple according to God's promise under God's sovereign hand. We see all those things, right, in Ezra 1 and 2. God's people return from exile to build God's temple according to God's promise under God's sovereign hand. And they do so sacrificially. So, how does that apply to us? We're not Jews. We're not heading back from exile. And we're certainly not told to go and build a temple in Jerusalem. Get yourself killed. So what does this passage have to do with us? Well, before we can think about that, we need to see how it connects to Christ, don't we? Because we are, after all, in Christ. We are His people. If we can see how it points to Christ, then we will see how it applies to us. Well, remember how we thought this might be the new exodus that Jeremiah was talking about? Well, in one sense it is. But it's not really the new exodus. Because the new exodus is far bigger, far better than the first one. When you think about this and you look at it very carefully, actually, it's, this one's pretty small compared to that first one, wasn't it? This is actually just a shadow, a, a foretaste, a pointer to the, the real new exodus. And that is the exodus that Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. The rescue that he won for us by dying for our sins on the cross in our place is indeed bigger than the rescue of the exodus. Because it's such a bigger scope. And that is what ultimately fulfills God's promise. And so this coming back from the exile, which we read in our passage here, is actually a, a picture of the bigger coming back that the real exodus brings. To start with, Jesus is the true Israel. He is everything that God's people were meant to be but are not. He is our representative. He is the true people of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he bore our sin, our curse on our behalf. You can say he was exiled spiritually on the cross. As he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took our hell, our exile from God. And after the exile, God raised Jesus from the dead by his mighty power. And so Jesus is the true people of God back from exile. And he has built his temple. Destroy this temple, he said, and I will raise it in three days. And he was talking of the temple of his body. And so here is Jesus, the true people of God, returned by his resurrection from the exile of God's judgment. He has built the true temple, his body, and he has done so sacrificially. He's fulfilled the work of God's people. Jesus Christ is the true people of God, returned from the exile, to build God's temple according to God's promise under God's sovereign hand. 
But Jesus is not just the true people of God. He is also the true king. In fact, the Old Testament uses Cyrus, the king, as a type that is a picture of Christ. Uh, In the book of Isaiah, God prophesies about him in terms that foreshadow Jesus. In Isaiah 44, uh, 28, he says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd. He shall fulfill my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, She shall be built on the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And the Lord calls Cyrus his anointed. In our passage today, Cyrus says that God has given him all the kingdoms of the earth. And God has charged him to build his temple, which is in Jerusalem. And all these things are true about Cyrus, but, but Jesus is the ultimate shepherd, isn't he, of God's people? Jesus is the ultimate anointed one of God's people. God has indeed given Jesus all the nations of the earth. And like Cyrus, God has charged him with the ongoing work of the building of the temple. For the New Testament, it also speaks of another temple. A temple that is being built now. A temple that we saw in our reading from 1 Peter consists of living stones. Each believer is a stone in that temple. That temple from Ephesians is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with with Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And that is a temple for God to dwell in by his Spirit. That is a temple that that is being built. Jesus has been given the kingdom and been charged with the building of the temple. Cyrus, when he was given the kingdom, he, was, uh, he fulfilled the charge of building the temple by what? By commanding God's people to come back from exile and build. And that's what Jesus did to us. We were in exile from the garden, remember? We're in the big exile from the garden, away from a relationship with God. Like the rest of humanity, we were apart from Him, far away. But God had promised that one day He would rescue us. And in the gospel, we hear the word of the King commanding us to return. Our hearts were stirred by the Spirit of God. And so we came. And through faith in Jesus, we were restored. We were reconciled to God. And so spiritually, we are back from the exile. God was sovereign in His purpose. He was the one who sent that call through King Jesus. He is the one whose spirit stirred our hearts to obey Him. And so ultimately, He is the one who has brought us back from that exile. We are like God's people returned from the exile. And just as the reason that the exiles were saved from the exile, they came back from the exile. Why? To build the temple The reason we are brought back from the exile is why? To build the temple. Let's be very clear about that's why we're here. We've been recruited for this purpose, to build God's temple. Stone by stone, as people come to know and receive Christ as their king. And like the returned exiles, we put our time, our effort, our money towards this. We do this sacrificially because this is what we're here for. And this all happens in the words of Philippians 2 as God works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We are God's people who have returned from the exile to build God's temple according to God's promise under God's sovereign hand. Now in a lesser sense, we we are here as well. Well, We're also a bit like the vessels, aren't we? used in the temple of God, in the garden, 
carried away, exiled in the fall, but now brought back through Jesus and being used in God's temple for his service. We're also like the plunder. Remember the gifts that the Jews received for building the temple? Like back in the Exodus, the Israelites received from the Egyptians? We too have been taken from the nations, like the gold and silver, once used in pagan places for pagan things, now given to adorn this, this new temple. Well, this is a little side points, but back to the main point. God's people return from exile to build God's temple according to God's promise under God's sovereign hand. Let's think again how it applies to us. We are God's people in Christ. And we've just seen that spiritually we have returned from the exile. But there is another sense in which we are still in exile. We are physically outside the garden. We are still in this fallen world of sorrow and care. We are, in the words of 1 Peter 2, sojourners and exiles in the world, still. And so, we're in the overlap time. We already returned spiritually, but in exile physically. We're in the already, but not yet. But the day will come when that exile will be over. And we will return to our promised land. No longer the Garden of Eden, but the new creation. King Jesus will defeat and destroy our enemies, sin and death, like King Cyrus destroyed Babylon. And like the exiles returned on the command of King Cyrus, we will return on the command of King Jesus. And we look forward to that day, where once again we will be God's people, in God's place, under God's blessing and rule. And this is the ultimate return. We return from exile according to God's promise, under God's sovereign hand. But there's one thing different. On that day, there will be no more temple to build, for our experience of God will be direct and complete. We will live and serve in His very presence forever. This applies, of course, to all those who are trusting in Jesus as their King. Those who have spiritually returned from the exile and waiting for that reality to come into pass. But here in this congregation, there may be those who are still in spiritual exile. Maybe you're one of them. Far from God, but you have heard the gospel message of Jesus. And King Jesus is calling you to come back from the exile and to build his temple. He's died so that you can do that. What are you got to do? Rise up. Rise up today, like those exiles of old. Know that God is sovereignly working. The king has made his decree. The spirit is stirring your heart. It's time to come home and get to work in building the temple. In our passage today, we read this whole list of names people, leaders of clans, of people who were remembered. But we also saw that there were those who missed out, didn't they? Because their names were not recorded. But if we belong to Jesus, then we know that's not us. Because our names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus knows our names. And if he knows us, we can be sure that we won't miss out. How do we know? Because that's what God promises. 
And we can trust God's word. We, we've seen today how God kept his promises. The exiles returned, just as he said. The pagan king Cyrus conquered Babylon, just as he said. God stirred his heart to send the people back, just as he said. God's people returned from exile to build God's temple under God's sovereign hand, according to God's promise. God kept his promise. And mind you, there would have been times in the exile when it seemed like he wasn't going to. Even in this time, there's no Davidic king. And their return from the exile was a small thing compared to the grandeur of what the prophets had said. So even then, there might have been doubt. But now that Jesus has come, we have no more excuse. We have seen the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises. Can we trust God's word? Absolutely. For every promise of our God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who rescues people. And we thank you for the way that you called your people, you stirred up the heart of Cyrus, you stirred the hearts of the people, and you brought them back from exile to build your temple. We thank you that the Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead, brought back from that exile, that he is your true temple. And we thank you that we have been brought back from the exile. That we have heard that call, that command from the king. And that your spirit has stirred our hearts to come to you in faith. And we thank you that you have brought us back with a purpose to build your temple. To build your house. Stone by stone. As people come to know you. Put their trust in you and grow together as that temple. Our Father, we pray that you help us to prioritize that work. Help us to do that, knowing that that is what you have called us to do. And we pray for any one of us here who has not yet responded to that call, who hasn't yet return from that exile to build a temple we pray that your spirit will be stirring their hearts today and they will come to know and trust in the Lord Jesus and our father we pray that you help us to keep looking forward to the day when all exile is ended and we will be back with you in your eternal kingdom as your people forever so keep us for that day we pray in Jesus' name, amen.